This episode of the Missions Podcast is sponsored by the Global Gospel Fund. You know, here on the show, we're driven by the conviction that eternity matters, time is short, and missionaries should be free to do the work that God has called them to do. Unfortunately, too many missionaries lose precious man hours managing the logistics of moving overseas, navigating visa structures, figuring out how to educate their kids, finding insurance, and more. And people who try to go it alone in missions without an agency don't usually realize how intense some of this work can be until it's too late. The Global Gospel Fund has a solution. Each gift to the Global Gospel Fund allows ABWE to serve more than a thousand missionaries with vital ministry-shaping resources, leadership, planning, care, and counseling by a team of more than 70 experts at our headquarters who know them by name, are praying for them, and are cheering them on. If you're burdened for missions this giving season but aren't sure how to best invest, the Global Gospel Fund is a great way to bless gospel-focused missionaries doing real evangelism, real church planting, and real compassion work across 70 countries. Become a Global Gospel Fund partner today at abwe.org slash globalgospelfund and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. My name is Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, Vice President of Mobilization and Communications for ABWE. Today is a special episode, and we have an interview planned, and we'll be talking about that. We'll be getting into that, but we want to start with some housekeeping and with a, a special announcement. And so I'm sitting here in the studio with Scott, and we are talking about some changes that are happening in your life, Scott. So I don't want to take any of your thunder, but I want to give you a chance to share with the audience what's changing in your life, and that'll lead into some of our further conversation. Yeah, so I've been with ABWE. This is my second time with ABWE. I I was a missionary with ABWE from 2006 to 2011, and then uh, stepped out of that into pastoral ministry. I worked in a small Christian university for a couple of years, and then when um, I effectively closed that ministry down, uh, <laughs> ended up coming to nice. ABWE, and I'm <laughs> good, really good been, it's been a, a blessing, definitely a blessing. It was a, a blessing to our family, and exciting to be able to re-engage in the area of missions. Um, but over the last couple years, um, I've continued to to wrestle with some of those same longings of ministry that I know you all do, and that is. While I enjoy levels of administrative work, I certainly enjoy getting to talk to people and educate people on missions. One, really missing the opportunity to minister together as as a family. Hmm. Uh, A lot of times in my role now, uh, I'm traveling independent of my family, coming back, engaging in local church ministry, but it's not in the same way that we've done in the past. And I miss that. Um, I also am missing my regular interaction with with, uh, my neighbors and with uh, lost people around me and being able to engage in the local church in the way that um, I've been able to do that in the past. And so, you know, as I've been wrestling with some of those things, I'm really praying through what God might might be doing. You know, Lord, should we go back into full-time missions, uh, mission field? Should we get back involved with pastoral ministry? Should I just stay in the current role that I have and praying through that? An opportunity came, um, was brought up by a, a longtime friend of mine and someone we've engaged in ministry before. He was actually a pastor of a supporting church um, that we had for years and now um, he's transitioned and and but but anyway I became aware and um, of a church planting ministry that's taking place in the Silicon Valley of California I'm a Wisconsin boy I love cheese and I actually like snow and uh, <laughs> I never thought that I would be interested in moving to California of all places and particularly not the Silicon Valley 
Um, but Redeem Your Church of the Silicon Valley and my friend Bob Bixby have recently called us to join their church planting team and get involved in reaching that region of the country, uh, region of America, which is, we'll get into this more later, but um, very de-churched and unchurched as well as full of unreached people groups um, to, to help them rethink, replant, and then start a church planting movement, uh, Lord willing, um, across that, 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 that section of the country. So, um, it's, it's hard in the sense that I will be transitioning out of my role as vice president at mobile at, at ABWE. Um, but I am encouraged that as we talk with ABWE, there's an opportunity for me to still engage, still be involved in many things with mobilization. Um, and one of the things I'm really excited about is you and I get to keep doing this podcast. Yeah, so, that was, yeah. So we were going to ask, what does that mean for the podcast and we'll be doing it separated by the entire continental U.S. Yep. at times, but we will still be doing it. So when we record at nine in the morning, it'll be 6 a.m. for me and 9 a.m. for Alex, or I think we'll have to I, I got the better later. end of that. We'll <laughs> figure that out. But um, so so it, it's a sad in some ways and that it's the end of something that has been a blessing to us and our family. It is how I know many of our listeners is through coming through ABWE, but I'm excited about this opportunity really to, to use the gifts that God's given given us to be able to minister together as a family and um, to minister with a good friend and uh, the opportunity to, to do a lot of the, the ministry things. I think God's prepared me over the last uh, 17 years of full-time ministry. Well, and I'm experiencing a grief maybe that uh, our listeners aren't because they'll still get to listen to you. But uh, Scott, you've been an awesome force in my life too, and just a mentor. And so um, the fact that we won't be able to interact in person as often um, is a loss for us, but we're also thrilled for your family and we're thrilled for Redeemer um, and the work that God is going to be doing there and to talk about your ministry because we want to talk about the ministry. Yeah. Um, and so we've brought Bob Bixby um, from Redeemer Church on today and he's on the line. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here. I feel like I've come up in life to get on your podcast. <laughs> well, we'll find ways to sure. take away that, that false feeling of superiority. We will. <laughs> Don't Next worry. You'll be there's, on the Today Show. <laughs> Don't worry. There's plenty of time for this interview to go south. But what we want to do is give you a chance first just to, to introduce yourself and talk about the church. Why, uh, why now to, um, to replant and to reinvigorate the church? Why the Bay Area? How did God call you there? And why on earth would you select someone like Scott Dunford <laughs> to be involved in this, of all things? That's the question I keep asking well, myself. There is a level of desperation, but uh, we'll, we'll take anybody we can get out here. <laughs> no, that's so untrue. I, I, my wife and I are thanking God every day since uh, Scott and Tara uh, decided to, to come here. It's just like a, a, a dream come true. It, we pinch ourselves every morning just uh, giving glory to God for this next opportunity that seems to be unfolding in front of us. It'd be helpful, I think, if, if you would just tell a little bit about your family um, and because you didn't you weren't raised in California either. Um, and a little bit about the journey God has led you and Jenny and your family on to bring you out to California. And that'll kind of help set up why Tara and I and, and our kids are, are joining you. Yeah, I grew up on the on the mission field. My my dad went to a three year institute and at Bob Jones University many years ago in the 60s. And, and then um, I spent my life in Central African Republic until I was about 14. Then they moved to France. 
And then I went to Northland, and there I met my wife at Northland uh, Baptist Bible College at the time. And it was there that I met Scott Dunford. He was a high school kid hmm. while I was in college at the time. His dad was a student. In fact, his dad was in the same class as mine. And, and uh, then after we graduated, my wife and I went to the mission field. We went to France and uh, worked for a little bit with my father. And then after being there for a while, we went to start a church in Belgium, right on the, actually right on the border of France and Belgium. Literally, we were about 100 yards away from the French-Belgium border. The mission board didn't really approve of my first name. I wanted to call it Borderline Baptist Church, but uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was a it was a great ministry opportunity for us. And then we came back to the states and ended up starting a church in Illinois. I Rockford, Illinois, and the Lord bless that ministry. But uh, the California thread started weaving itself into our story really early, and we sometimes look back at it and and uh, recognize it now when we didn't have, when we first made our decision to move out here five years ago. But when I was on deputation uh, to go to the field, the Lord really prospered our, our des- the deputation effort. And it helped that I was already bilingual and third generation missionary kid. And, and those kinds of things really gave me a, a head start. And I would just go to any church I could go to at the time. And I decided to fly out to California on deputation and go to some churches, basically cold calling these churches and asking for their support. And during that time, I I remember uh, telling this about uh, 25 years ago, I told my wife at the time that uh, San Jose was uh, an interesting city to me. And I told her, if ever I were to come back to the States, I'd love to start a church in San Jose. And um, we left it at that. It seemed like God had, and it was just a dream. It seemed uh, unrealistic. And I felt it was a mission field even way back then because uh, that was when uh, technology was really starting to, to boom. We uh, went to the mission field and uh, after that, and we had several California churches that were supporting us and kind of always had an interest in, in this part of the United States. After we had been in uh, our pastorate in Illinois for 12 years, the Lord grew that church and gave us a lot of opportunity to help other churches. But another feature of our deputation work kept coming back to us over and over again. Uh, Through travel teams with the college and then with our deputation, we've been in hundreds and hundreds of small churches all over America. And many of them are struggling or dying or have lost vision completely. Or if they have some vision, they're in despair because they feel like they're just spinning their wheels. And, and while I was pastoring in Illinois, I developed a relationship with a church out here uh, through a pastor that he had read my blog. that I, I used to blog and he had read my blog and, and we ended up sitting next to each other at uh, John MacArthur's Shepherds Conference on a, a shoe polishing stand. And he introduced himself to me because he recognized my name. And he asked me to come and help him uh, with his church, which was struggling at the time. And so I ended up taking a couple trips out here to the Silicon Valley. And that church uh, is the church that we are now replanting. It was 50 years old, in a, struggling. It had some legal issues that were going on. And uh, over time, it became apparent that we just needed to really encourage the assembly to take what life they had, bury it into the ground, and see what kind of fruit would come up from it. In other words, die in order to 
uh, bring forth life and mm. give them the vision of, of, of dying to the control of all of their assets, which in the Silicon Valley, if you have any property, you know, you've, you've, you've got uh, significant assets and reinvesting that into planting not just themselves but other churches and so that took some some time and and some it's a long story that I cannot tell here and, uh, an amazing thing how God worked to bring us to the point where the church uh, has joyfully grown to the point that it really wants to multiply and give up uh, its property in order to invest in other church plants in the area and immediately we knew that we needed to expand our team. One of the things that has always bothered me as a missionary kid was the kind of assumption when I went to Bible colleges with my dad was, you know, if you're a great preacher, be an evangelist. If you're mediocre, be a pastor. And if you're a loser, well, <laughs> God can use you on the mission field. Uh, <laughs> exactly how I it. felt. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you're really bad, be a podcaster. There you go. <laughs> And the, the thing is, I, I, I kept telling my wife what we need on the front lines of mission work. We need generals. We don't need privates. And generals also have the uh, drawing power to bring with them teams. And so it's been a long, uh, long vision that's starting to come into fruition to, to gather together an experienced team and, and plant pregnant, so to speak, in order to uh, multiply. So there you go. That's a quick summary. So I want to shift gears here a little bit. And Scott, God is calling you and your family to California, which we're here on the East Coast. It's a very different culture than it is here, certainly. But it is a mission field, you would argue, um, for multiple reasons. There's diversity, but there's also cultural factors there. Why don't you talk to us about that for a little bit? Yeah, you know, as our family was, if I were to sit down and say, hey, where's your ideal place to live? For many people, especially the Bay Area of California, would be right up there. Um, doesn't snow. It doesn't get super hot or super cold. It's got the ocean. And I do love the ocean. But, you know, if I was to say, hey, where do I want to live? I'd probably say Michigan or Wisconsin. Those are the places I grew up in and, and love. But what especially drew us to this area, and as we began talking with Bob, really captured our imaginations was the true lostness of that region um, and the incredible ethnic diversity. Uh, for many of you, you know, I, I, I lived and worked in Asia for a number of years, worked with Central Asian Muslims uh, and and uh, speak Mandarin uh, badly at this point, but, but do speak it. And everywhere we went as we were visiting out there, the, the diversity kind of just hits you in the face as, as it's obvious. You don't have to go looking for it. I saw some statistics um, recently just from San Jose, which is one of the the, the cities there that, that we'd be working in and targeting. Unreached people or people groups alone, especially formerly unreached or that have just crossed over that, that uh, 2% threshold um, or unengaged people groups. Um, there's 48 different people groups that qualify in that regard. Uh, 26 of them are now considered no longer unreached people group, people like the Han Chinese that are still small in, in numbers of evangelicals uh, percentage-wise, but, but no longer unreached. But this is where it got interesting to me, uh, 11 um, are engaged unreached people groups, but then there's 11 significant communities of unengaged unreached people groups, and that's just in San Jose. Uh, Fremont, uh, where uh, the church uh, is currently meeting, um, is is 
is extremely diverse. Um, it's it's well known as as the um, the largest community of Afghani's outside of Afghanistan. Um, there's even yeah. a little neighborhood. I have close friends that are missionaries little, to that community. Yeah, little Kabul is right there. You know, and if you read books like The Kite Runner, Fremont, California is is highly is highly uh, uh, highlighted in in those in those in that book. Um, sixty five something like sixty five percent Asians. Um, that's you know obviously Indians and and Chinese. Chinese and Koreans and all that whole mix yeah. up, but but huge numbers of people uh, that are that are that are unreached, um, and then you get even beyond that into the secularism. Um, it's yeah. been called the least churched region in America, the Bay Area, and these are this is not a small population. Uh, the Bay Area is something like the fifth largest metro area in the country. Massive influence that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, as far as cultural influence and financial influence. It's a place that's shaping culture as we speak. Yeah. But um, but it, it's it's the place where religion has gone to die, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's the, at least where Christianity no longer has influence. So when we hear those things, and we're looking at our background, our love for for Central Asian Muslims, our love for Chinese people, um, our love for just lost people in general, um, there's certainly some really big missiological reasons why Christians should be engaging in the Bay Area. Yeah, because you're not just talking about uh, going and you know laser targeting who whoever is, you know, of Asian descent and only evangelizing them, right? That's not the strategy you're talking about because everybody there is really at a high level of need for the gospel, right? So I also want to direct the conversation to Bob a little bit. And Bob, uh, share with us about more of the the secularism that Scott mentioned. Share with us some of the ways that uh, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley are shaping culture throughout the U.S. and what that kind of looks like for you as a church, as a young church plant um, to be living in the midst of, of that kind of hostile territory? Well, it's uh, interesting because the hostility is not what a lot of people would imagine. In fact, uh, one thing that I noticed when I was, there is hostility, but it's a different kind. When I was uh, a pastor in Illinois uh, along the state line with a lot of uh, Christian roots, Lutheranism or Catholicism or uh, other forms of Protestantism and evangelicalism, in fact, the free church is really strong in that area. When I would, I would try not to introduce myself as a pastor, because as soon as I said the word pastor, it was like this invisible stiff arm just shot out. And there was a distancing from me and baggage that the person had with the tied up with the word pastor would become this invisible wall between me and that person. So I'd I really would try to get them to like me before I let them know what I did. And out here, it's the opposite, ironically. I'm very open that I'm a Christian pastor. I introduce myself as a Christian pastor to everybody. And rarely do I get that. Usually I get uh, real interest or intrigue, uh, sometimes complete ignorance about what in the world does a pastor do. And, and so uh, when I first introduced myself to my neighbors, uh, one of my neighbors had no idea and, and occasionally would keep asking me, so how are things going? Tell me a little bit more about what you do, that kind of thing. The openness of the stereotypical openness of Californians that are so often that is so often maligned by uh, evangelicals is actually uh, a benefit because, sure, they're open to me, they're open to Hinduism, they're open to, you know, spiritism of, of various kinds uh, or secularism or all kinds of things. But nonetheless, 
at the very get-go, uh, there's there's openness. So I think that's a that's an image that really needs to come down as far as what kind of reaction we get. The hostility is different in the Bay Area. If this were a country, this would be the 20th richest nation in the world, probably more so. California all by itself is the fifth largest economy in the world. And so the hostility comes from a superiority that they're tolerant towards you, but there's a true belief. I tell people this. I, th- I tell people we're doing work. We're doing eye of the needle work on the plane of Shinar. Hmm. And the plan of Shinar, of course, is where the Tower of Babel was built. And I think Genesis 11 is about technology. And uh, and so the God said, God testified to the ability of men when he said, you know, if we just let them go, that whatever they set their minds to, they're going to be able to do. And uh, I don't think we know yet the extent of technology that we are capable of. And people here certainly believe it even more than other parts of the world, the kinds of things they talk about, artificial intelligence and so forth. And so there's a huge belief in man and uh, the capabilities of man that every problem in the world is ultimately can be solved, if not by man, but by the artificial intelligence that we create. Well, so what does it look like then specifically for your church? Um, Maybe a good way to to frame the question would be, what can churches outside of your context learn from what you've found yourself having to do over the last couple of years in ministry there in order to contextualize the gospel message in a setting like that? Maybe it's not necessarily coming up directly against all of the the aggressive secularism, the pro-LGBT, gay rights, uh, all of those sorts of things that, that come to mind when we think about the, the West Coast, the left coast. But what, what does it look like to, to take the gospel to people who have never met a pastor? And how could we employ that in our own contexts? Well, you know, it, I'm still trying to find the what it means to do the work of an evangelist, as Paul instructed Timothy. And a part of that is to get to know the people around you. And it's interesting because of the diversity, every other person you meet is different than the one you met before. Uh, so when you try to find a commonality, some of the things that I'm, I'm finding are similar. For example, whether it's uh, Russian Orthodox or Roman Catholic or people from Islamic backgrounds or whatever, and all of these people I've met that are lured in by the secularism here, and they're trying to uh, have secular fashions of their religion. Religion is actually pretty strong here. It's just a kind of... Um, uh, diluted type of religion. But I think in, in evangelizing them, my target is to appeal to consciousness because that's something that artificial intelligence cannot touch. And it's the, the mystery that everybody, even the people on the farthest left, uh, admit cannot be explained by neurons and synapses and so forth. And so that's why there's a surge of people saying we are spiritual but not religious in this area. But I like to then start there. Why do they say they're spiritual? What makes them spiritual? What are What is their explanation for their own sense of consciousness? And um, one of the best and most effective things we've done as far as outreach has gone is to have just what I call a Christian worldview discussion. 
where I invite people to come and just argue with me. Uh, and we've had atheists and agnostics. And we had uh, one friend, an Islamic uh, woman, who she would excuse herself uh, in the middle of our study and go out and say her prayers and then come back in, uh, complete with all her headdress and everything. And, and all of that, unbelievers. And over the period of time, it was just a conversation without really any outline or anything, just um, going to the heart of human consciousness and then from there exploring what the what the word of God says about it. One of the things that, that I've been encouraged by is it's right on the front page of the church's website, RedeemerFremont.com, and uh, just says, unplug, get rooted, and flourish. And that is something that Bob and I, as we've talked about this, kind of rediscovering what it means to be to be human again and uh, discover rediscover that, that sense of place. Because as we become more invested in technology, we find that there's something drastically missing. Um, we can have a lot of relationships through Facebook and Twitter and the same, but even as, you know, as, as we experience here, like you're listening in on a podcast and a conversation, there's a type of relationship that's built. If you listen every week, you kind of feel like you get to know the people. I, there's other podcasts I listen to where I feel that way. And I listen to this podcast and feel like I get to know Alex. I feel like I'm getting to know you too, I, Scott. Yeah, so there's a part a of that. A little bit. Um, but there's something that's so vital about sharing a meal together that we see in the scripture that hospitality is a centerpiece, you yeah. know, that there is a, a, something real about place. And that's something that as we have thought through this, that that's important to us to, to capture that, that we're not just a, a church that you drive into, um, but that it's a place You're where not opening a new online campus. No, we're not. Nor, <laughs> nor the, the, was it John, is it John Chris, the Christian comedian? He has a new virtual reality church, which <laughs> isn't that far from what some yeah. have launched, um, where you can decide every Everything you want, including the dress you're going to wear and uh, the style of the worship music, but but really say, hey, the Christian home and the hospital and the, and hospitality will begin and ministry will begin in the neighborhood. Um, a defined place and building place and investing in place um, and allowing people to have that touch and feel relationship. And that's one advantage of doing, I think, ministry in a non-Christian culture is that you get to define it as it would best fit the culture according to biblical standards, not just having to also play into, we were talking uh, before with another church planter, uh, Dave Doran Jr., about the, the, the importance in his context of having a building. Well, in this, in this situation, it's different than that. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob, do you want to weigh in on that at all? Yeah, we're at the, you know, the Silicon Valley is home to the, the big bad four, Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, somewhere else. But, and I don't think we realize, you know, I, I, I like to say we're on the, plane of Shinar, that's one way of doing it. But in another sense, uh, we're at the, like in Rome, in, in the Roman, uh, in Paul's time, or maybe maybe uh, Athens, but one of these uh, centers of uh, these, where a culture is being shaped and people are being uh, commodified, if, if we could say it that way, mm. where these four are, we're the product, we're not, uh, yeah, we're, being, be mined. we're not the customer, <laughs> we're the product. Mm -hmm. And so what that means, what's really ironic here about the Bay Area is that here we are in the epicenter of uh, social media and People are incredibly disconnected. Yeah. Um, and we are in a, one of the most disconnected places in the area. And people are trying to find 
because ultimately we can't uh, deny our DNA. We're physical beings. We're human mm. beings. And so I think part of my personal strategy in reaching people is to tell them tell them the gospel story the beginning of the gospel story is we were created as humans Mm. and what does that mean so what scott is saying one reason why we want to say unplug is obviously that speaks to our technology not not that technology is bad thank god for it we're using it right now we would use it uh in our church we're not amish but well that answers my uh, next question yeah especially especially here in harrisburg central pa (laughs) yeah it's important to clarify so when you know technology is a great tool and that's one of the exciting things about being here in um this place i mean when you have people in your church that work at these companies as as we do it's a it's a great opportunity and there's a tools that we can use to reach the whole world and that gets to part of our long-term vision which we haven't begun yet but part of planting pregnant so to speak is with uh, a global view but we want people to realize that uh, they're not defined by technology and uh, ultimately they can't connect uh, through or by technology in the most intimate way and so our whole strategy is to emphasize place by doing a parish model and rebuilding the concept of neighborhoods because that's a quickly fading it's almost totally gone concept in parts of the bay area i think playing into some of that problem as well as you, you did mention it with the, your comment about the eye of the needle is this idea of affluence you know fremont alone it, it, i think the average ho- household income is something around a hundred plus thousand dollars one hundred and three thousand dollars i think is what i i had read and uh and, and so you have high wealth. You also have a high immigrant population. So you have people coming thinking that they are finding the answers that their soul's looking for. They've got money. They're in the place that they hope they could be, but they're also very, very disconnected from each other, but also from their home communities. And it's an opportunity, I think, at those critical junctures for the gospel to be able to to come into contact with and, and find hearts that are more open to hearing what, what's going on there. Is there hostility? Sure, there could be. There's definitely pushback. Um, but there's also a unique gospel opportunity and a unique gospel moment. There's 250,000 Muslims in the Bay Area. You don't think of that, you know, but there's, an, there's opportunities that are there um, that need to be addressed. And, and it also makes it hard for ministry to take place because most of us are coming from small towns, you know, where the average income is something, you know, around 40,000 for median household income. So how do pastors and churches function in those areas? So that is a unique challenge to ministry at this really critical place is the issue of funding. So here's a question for you guys, and this is just a little bit open-ended. Um, how, how have you walked out that tension between swimming against the flow of culture um, and being that prophetic voice, you know, that voice crying out in the wilderness and having that kind of approach to ministry versus being very much present and within the community and, you know, sort of that that Jeremiah sense of be, being a blessing um, and planting down roots um, in the city that, that God has sent you in into exile. How have you walked that out? And maybe maybe you have a similar approach in that. Maybe you guys have a slightly divergent approach on that. What does that look like? Bob, do you want to take it first or do you want me to take a shot at it? Uh, let me hear what you say so I can learn from it. 
<laughs> grace us, oh, with, no. your, grace oh, us no. with your wisdom. Already we have a problem. <laughs> Bob's going to try to learn from me. Uh, so here, here's the way. I, I mean, I think of this even in our community here in Harrisburg. And I think the way Christians need to, need to think through it and respond. You know, there, there's a there's a sense in which I think our very lives ought to be prophetic. You know, I don't mean that in any kind of spiritual giftedness way, but I mean in, in a in a truly Daniel type of way, where Daniel, just by being having fidelity to God's commands in Babylon, um, and he's lost everything at this point, even his manhood probably. You know, and here he is, and he just says, "Hey, I, I want to comply as much as is possible with the culture," but there are lines that I can't cross because of my fidelity to Christ, uh, or at this point, God, you know, Jehovah. And, and so, you know, it's as simple as him saying, I'm not going to take part in the King's meat. How about if I do this alternative? And there, certainly there's places we see where, you know, the you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are forced to bow down and they refuse. So there are these moments of cultural conflict where they are saying, okay, this is where the line is drawn and you're going to have to kill me in order to, to go forward because we're not bowing. But I think that's kind of the, the mentality you have to have in these situations is saying, hey, I'm in this community. I'm for the betterment of the community. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble about about this tangential issue and that tangential issue. I'm not going to become political about it. Um, I'm not, I'm not banging my drum and say everyone needs to become just like me. But as I live my life for Christ in a very countercultural way, there will come moments where the world goes, that's different. What's going on there? I've never met someone like that before. And that's a gospel moment. Um, But there's also moments then where you're saying, Hey, I'm going to be faithful and following God. And we're saying like, this is a biblical sexual ethic, for instance, where you will, you know, without a doubt, come into conflict with the culture in which you just say, hey, this is also going to be a moment that testifies against your unrighteousness in which you are called to repent. And so I, I think that Christians need to live in that tension. But I think as we try to follow a biblical worldview and follow Christ, some of that's going to happen naturally. Some are going to smell our lives and go, that smells like life in the gospel. Others are going to smell our life and say that is the smell of death um, and it leads to judgment. So, I mean, I think that I think what Paul's saying there um, is relevant. Yeah. Bob, how would you answer that too and build on that? Well, from a pastor slash missionary perspective, I think I really think that we have to kind of pickle ourselves in the abstract ideas of thinking of, say, like Niebuhr's taxonomy of Christ and culture and uh, read like D.A. Carson's analysis of that, which I think is great. I read it a number of years ago or Walter Brueggemann's The Prophetic Imagination is an excellent, excellent, although a lot of conservative Christians don't like his liberalism. It's still an excellent um, way of thinking about the Christian in context with uh, a place in an area that is different than the design God had for it. And then we really have to think. I mean, we have to work up a brain sweat in thinking about this because it is hard work. But then as soon as we walk out the door... Now, you know, whether it's, you know, coaching your son's basketball team or chatting with the neighbors or doing a party with the neighbors or whatever. Now, all of that abstract uh, thinking has to come into something really precise. And I think the opportunity to show that we have different affections and different values and that uh, we are sorrowful for things that don't disturb other people. I think those come in in one-on-one conversations. And I've become a real believer in the fact that 
the best way that we can change our culture around us is um, the second command, the second commandment of loving our neighbor. Hmm. And that means becoming acquainted with our neighbor and then uh, rubbing off onto our neighbor, our persona, which is completely different and bringing our difference next to them because they're not acquainted with it at all. Otherwise, they're unfamiliar with it. They haven't heard. And I think people, you know, the cliche says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, that's a cliche way of saying it, but people want to be heard and loved and they want to know that you find them interesting and their thoughts. And uh, if you, what I found in my weekly Christian worldview discussions, one time the topic came out, it was a woman that was living with her a friend and uh, she said, what is sin? And so I said, well, I'd love to hear what every one of you say first. And so she uh, spoke for about 10 minutes trying to just work out her ideas on what sin is. And then everybody, including the Muslim lady, they all gave their answers. And two things happened there. First of all, I got to hear what uh, they thought, which was very helpful to me to now forge my answer from the biblical worldview. Because a lot of times we come with our pre-planned lectures and we just waste a whole bunch of words because it's not even relevant to mm. what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And and so that was very helpful. But, but the most important thing was by letting them talk – uh, two things happened. First of all, they they um, they realized how much they didn't know, and they exposed to themselves by thinking out loud in a safe place what little they knew about how they answered that question. And then, most importantly, since I had given them so much hearing time, they gave me hearing time. Hmm. So I think that our our I I do think you know, and I'm excited about Scott coming out here, Scott. The the reason uh, I got to put this plug in for what God is leading us, the reason I'm just, you know, I pinch myself daily and can't believe that the Dumfords are coming out here is because Scott, I think, is is one that lives uh, and understands the abstracts. And, and sometimes abstracts of missiology get a, are used as a pejorative because it's not in the trenches. But I think it's so so important. And then, and yet, uh, you know, so he and I will be able to really fellowship and think what is our 20 year, 30 year strategy for, you know, I don't want to plant an oak, uh, uh, mushrooms. I want to plant an oak tree. Hmm. And, um, and that takes some time and that takes some, someone able to really live in the abstract, but then someone who's passionate about, uh, being on the front lines in battle. So to me, church planting needs to be done by generals who can think strategically and uh, sergeants who can fight tactically. And and uh, that's what I think uh, we're going to get in Scott. Well, Scott and your family, our prayers at ABWE and the, the family of the podcast are with you guys as you approach this transition. How can people get involved in this ministry, whether by prayer uh, or by other ways of partnering uh, as you get ready to go out to California? Yeah, I really pray. I mean, yeah, obviously pray for, for Bob and I and just that there's a, a immediate ministry connection. I mean, certainly we've known each other for a long time, but obviously working together is, is a whole nother um, ball game. So pray for that. There's a lot of transition stuff that has to happen, including the selling of our house and transitioning my current duties at ABWE and, and transitioning some different duties, including, you know, how to do this podcast remotely, which is something we're, Alex, 
Alex and I are both excited about. And thankfully, Bob's excited about that as well, uh, maintaining that. Um, but that's going to be a, tra- a change. Um, and so be, be in prayer about that. Um, there, there are still some some financial details that have to get worked out. And uh, so, you know, we would love it if people saw, hey, this is an important vision. We think this is important, not just for uh, Scott and Bob and their families, but also for the cause of Christ around the world. If they wanted to give, you could certainly give uh, to my account at ABWE or uh, give directly uh, to a Redeemer Church. You go to RedeemerFremont.com slash give. There's an opportunity there to, to be able to give toward the support of this, this ministry. Um, and, and it's something that um, Bob and I are, are kind of excited about and need as much as anything is we're really praying that God would re- raise up a team of people that said, say, we also want to be a part of that. Mm. And that would involve very simply, it's not simply because it's an expensive place to live, but right. but moving to the Bay Area with us, um, coming out to San Jose and Fremont with us, um, we would want to help, you know, connect you with our connections and get you, find you a job in the community, uh, find an apartment apartment, a place to live and put down roots and really help see a gospel community thrive. And so the need to have people that have this same kind of missionary vision to say like, hey, we want to to dive in and plug in and be a part of that is something that we would both really um, we're praying about and would really value. So if that's you, you can obviously write to write to us here at the show. And I'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, but Bob, would you want to add anything to that? Yeah, if I can just piggyback onto that one one uh, model that really motivates me is the model by uh, John Livingston Nevius, who was a missionary to China and Korea in the 19th century. But he really had uh, a vision for church planting. In fact, uh, the effects of it were most evident in Korea of planting pregnant. And that phrase is not uh, his, nor is it mine. I borrowed that from J.D. Perry, a friend of mine who's a church planter, but the idea is to to really focus at the very, very beginning on the church that you're planting being the source of many churches. So we want to plant, you know, ideally a church with a number of future pastors straight up from the start. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also want to build into our team four categories of people that Paul always had in all of his ministries. Uh, he had the he had the Barnabas and Peter. Those are the pastors that just uh, would support them and, and give them credibility from a distance. And then he had uh, the Timothy and Titus. These are the future pastors and missionaries that worked right with him and uh, he could mentor them. And then he always had uh, Lydia and Phoebe. These were people who could write checks and financially support him one way or another. We, we, uh, we need people in that category. And then finally he had, and this is what Scott is appealing to. He had Priscilla and Aquila. These are professionals who could move and get a job wherever he was planting a church And our goal is to get people in all four of those categories to catch this vision of planting pregnant and starting something that hopefully will multiply into a number of different churches here in the Bay Area. 
on those for for those who didn't lose you as soon as you were used the word pregnant um that's some really <laughs> that's some really um fertile advice <laughs> oh man um but it's it's good and and uh, to be able to throw as many qualified people at, at that young budding church community and that family as possible um is an awesome thing so thank you bob so much for joining us and we will include some of those links to get a hold of you guys and to to give um in the show notes here scott thank you for also bearing your heart today. No, I just, I really am thankful to ABWE. It's been uh, yeah. a great, one of the great pleasures of my life to be able to serve ABWE as a missionary and as a vice president for the last three years. And um, I'm just grateful for the response that I've received even toward our transition. Um, and I really am excited about coming in at a hard time at ABWE's history and feeling like leaving at a time that is is, is rich with opportunity and to be able to stay involved in that in some way. Um, um, I'm really grateful for that, um, including just this podcast community that has been created. And we hear mm-hmm. stories from from people almost every week of, of how God has used this. And it just humbles Alex and I. Um, but it's a, a special it's been a, a rich season and a rich blessing to be a part of that. And I just want to give appreciation to Paul Davis and obviously Alex and ABWE for this opportunity, but also looking forward to seeing how the relationship and the ongoing ministry connection can can even foster what God is calling us to in this next stage. Amen. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And Bob, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.